When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, an ABMA podcast. Today we're talking about relationships and training with special guest Justin Gardner. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I'm your host, Shane, and I'm a current ABMA board member, pinniped trainer at the Columbus Zoo Aquarium, and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again, thank you so much. We're excited to have you here on the third episode of our brand new podcast to continue to talk about behavior. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior and animal training. We want to provide a resource for newer trainers to learn and for experienced trainers to be refreshed. Even though the content that you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. As we begin our journey into training and behavior, before we start breaking down the specific training terms and the science behavior, we wanted to discuss something that is truly at the heart of training. And to help me talk about that is Justin Garner. Well, thank you for joining me, Justin, on this third episode of our brand new podcast. Thanks for having me. So Justin and I know each other uh, very well. We used to work together. He was one of my mentors. Now I'm really Glad to call him a colleague and a friend. Uh, We both are also on the ABMA Board of Directors, but I know you well, Justin. So for all of our listeners that don't know you, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care and training field? Sure. I've been working with animals for a little over 20 years. Right now, I work with a really cool group of cheetahs in the Cheetah Ambassador Program. Um, But I started out working in an education department at the Pittsburgh Zoo. And I moved around to different zoos and aquariums, um, a bunch of different ones. Mostly worked with marine mammals, dolphins and sea lions, um, a little bit of free flight bird training as well. Uh, And I've also been on the board of AVMA since I think 2016. I was president in 2019 and I'm still on the boards. 
And Justin, I am offended for Cornelius, the fantastic and amazing ground hornbill that you also work with that you failed to mention. I can't believe I forgot Cornelius. Yes, he's probably the best Abyssinian ground hornbill ever. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I work with cheetahs and one Abyssinian ground hornbill. Oh, confirming yeah. both of us, just so everyone's clear, very unbiased. He is the best ground hornbill in the world. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we have that out of the way. Yes, that too. He is a beautiful bird. Well, now that we know a little bit about you, Justin, let's dive into today's episode. So normally I kind of talk about a term, a training term, and we give a definition and break that down. But that's what we're going to be starting with next episode, next week, check in. We're going to start with operant conditioning, one of the big ones, the crux of what we're doing. We're training animals. But today, I actually wanted to give a little bit of a story because Justin and I had an interaction when I was a younger trainer and this really stuck with me. So I thought it'd be great to talk about for our third episode. So way back in 2018, when I worked with Justin, Justin was my supervisor. During that time, I asked Justin a question that caused me to look at training in a completely different way. At the time, I was mentoring one of our newer trainers, Sam. Shout out to Sam because you better be listening to this. Um, But then I asked Justin this question. If you could describe positive reinforcement training in one word, what would it be? And without skipping a beat, Justin said relationship. Admittedly, I was taken a little off guard because I didn't expect to hear that answer. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized what a truly perfect answer that was. The word relationship covers a lot when we're talking about positive reinforcement, we're talking about animal training. In operant conditioning, not only is the relationship between the trainer and the animal important, but also the relationship that the animal has with its environment, its re- reinforcers, its history, all those things. So Justin, same question with a twist this time. Why did you choose to say relationship in response to my question of describing positive reinforcement training in one word? So honestly, I didn't expect the question. Uh, It was a really good question. I don't know if anybody's ever, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. And so actually it's a great opportunity to point out that we're always learning. And I'm, I learned a lot in that moment. Shane is always seeking information um, to learn more, um, which is one of the reasons I think you're such a good trainer and fantastic for this, for this podcast. But I learned in that moment too, because it really made me think. So I'm glad it looked like I didn't miss a beat, but it did make me think for sure. Um, And I do remember that question kind of like it it was yesterday. Um, But relationship was the first thing that came to my mind because as Shane kind of already said, everything that we do revolves around relationships in some way, shape or form. Hopefully those are good, strong, positive relationships, but relationships affect everything that we do, whether they're good or maybe not so good. We're always working to make sure that they are good. Um, There's lots of good references to the bank account, which probably a lot of people have heard. Um, But I've worked with a lot of animals that will work with you because they want to, not because they have to, even if you don't have food. So that's one of the first things that I was thinking when Shane asked me that was it shouldn't all be about the food uh, because there's so many other things and ways uh, to build relationships and reinforcement history with 
with our animals. So um, Shane made me think, and actually you're still making me think uh, about that. And I, I do think relationships are the kind of heart and soul of what we do. And I just loved it because it does cover so much. Like you said, of course, our relationship with your trainer, a trainer animal relationship is so important. You know, anyone can see that. If you're training uh, ground hornbills to belugas to your dog at home, like we can see that happening. But I just loved thinking about like, man, that animal has so much that is happening and training is a two-way communication and where you're at matters. Like the relationship with an animal's environment, have they done that behavior where you're asking them before? Did something happen, you know, a little bit, uh, earlier in that place that then has changed that entire setup. I think one of the things they think about is, you know, let's take a super easy behavior, an animal sitting, you know, you ask them to sit, they sit 99.99% of the time, but then, you know, something happens. I mean, I know I do this all the time because I'm a klutz. Anyone who's worked with me can uh, attest that I've probably done this. You're about to ask the behavior and someone walking behind you trips and drops a ton of metal buckets, this huge loud noise. And then you go and ask the animal to sit and they don't like that is, I think a perfect example of, you know, training is very fluid and the relationships that that animal has with that behavior with the moment is fluid as well, which I thought was a really uh, cool way to start thinking about training, especially when I was younger and, you know, learning and finding the way that I look at a training session. You brought up a lot of, of good points and it was something that, took me a long time to kind of realize and learn, but we all are probably working with animals because we like and love animals and relationship, just the word is it's a construct. Um, It's hard to define a relationship. And I think myself included newer trainers or people maybe just getting into the field. Sometimes it's pretty hard to kind of take a step back and really think about your relationship with the animal both ways. Um, How does the animal, you know, view you? Anybody can kind of be an ATM machine for food and animals are doing the things for the food. But if you're fun and you're exciting and the animal learns that you're going to provide choices and you're not going to make them uncomfortable, then it's a whole different ball game. And they're looking to work with you because it's fun and exciting. You're interesting. You're, you're safe. Um, and those are all things that are very hard to quantify. It's hard to measure a relationship just because the animal's working with the trainer doesn't necessarily mean that that trainer and that animal have a good relationship. So, um, I think the, the bank account making deposits and withdraws, um, that's talked about a lot in our field is probably, um, the best example of that. Um, but it, there's still so many little parts to it and relationships change. I always point out, um, to the team I work with that as humans, our relationships change. So we have really good friends when we're young that we're really close to. And when we're 30, I'm still 30 when I'm 30, uh, or when you're 30, you might I, not... I'm not 30 yet. Just kidding. I am. <laughs> I'm just going to stay 30 forever. Um, Relationships change. So you have close friends younger and you might grow apart when you're older. In fact, a lot of times that happens. And sometimes even people, family or um, spouses that you're 
have really good, strong relationships with, there might be times of the day or certain days of the week that the relationship may be better or a little, a little worse. So um, relationships, we're working with every single day with our animals and they can't talk to us. So I think it's even that much more challenging. And this is something, since this is episode three, you may not have heard me and by you, I mean the listeners say this as much. I know Justin's heard me say this because one of my favorite uh, little, you know, training sayings uh, when I worked with Justin, uh, Sam used to call them Shanisms that I would say to him as I was helping, you know, I was learning and he was learning uh, training as well. And the first part is something that uh, my first mentor, Vouter Stellard, would always say, which is training is the study of one, meaning that you can have the exact same species, the exact same age, they can be the same sex, the same setup, and they're different. They're different animals. And so what might work for one might not work for the other. It might take one five sessions to complete a behavior and you're doing the exact same thing with the other one. And it might take them 10 which I think is really important. And then one thing that as I was growing and like watching and learning, and I think coming down to this topic of relationships was training the study of one and one moment, just because something worked the moment before it might not necessarily happen following that. And you have to really pay attention to the animal's behavior and what they're showing you to help, you know, guide them and give that communication in order to, um, reach that goal that you've set for that animal with their training. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I love that study of one. Um, I think the the trainers that build strong relationships the, the quickest um, understand exactly what Shane just said. They And they can predict it. So they can read the animal's body language super well. So it is that two-way communication and they can change just as much as they're expecting the animal to change. To me, that's one of the things that builds the, the strongest relationship. The animal being anthropomorphic, the animal feels like it has a voice too. Uh, it's not just doing something for the next fish or the next meatball. Um, it's part of the back and forth between the trainer and animal. And when you have that, it really can make things stronger. Like here's an example. I, I think of all the time and just thought of right now with one of the cheetahs that Justin works with. I used to work with Kabisa and she is the best cheetah in the world. So Justin, don't say anything if you disagree. Um, but she's her her sister. All right. There's their sisters. So we can accept that. But with her, she tactile was very, very reinforcing. And then sometimes maybe even, a punisher like it hopefully you don't get to that point but it wasn't you could tell that in that moment it wasn't something that she was eliciting and i remember i loved working with her i learned so much from her because you would literally ask her to sit and she would be showing like i'm inviting you into my space you talked about you know giving the animals voice giving them that choice and like reading their language you know you can go in there give her tactile she'd be purring all that kind of stuff Then you'd stop, you'd ask her another behavior. And just by knowing her so well, having that relationship, you could, I could see, all right, right now, like something shifted. She's not, you know, inviting me into that space. She's telling me through her behavior, her body language that right now, that is not something that 
she is wanting to happen in this training session. So then we're able to move on. And then it was so fluid. Like I learned, she's one of the animals I've learned so much from specifically from that, because she did change so often. And by having that relationship, by being able to teach her that, you know, you can show me through your behavior and I'm going to listen. And that really helps build strong relationships when we can do that with our animals. You made me think of something very similar uh, in my career that I learned, but you, again, we all are working with animals because we like them and we love them. And when you get your first job and your second job, or you're working with that new species, I, I like to touch animals. I like to give them rub downs or scratches. Um, and it took a while to, to realize, but to Shane's point, I always try to think about it as is the animal finding that touch or that scratch or rub down reinforcing, are they tolerating it or do they not want it at all? I kind of, I kind of break it down in my head to those three things. And I think the best trainers, when I watch other people training, they read that in the moment and they basically with their body language, ask the animal if they want um, to be touched or stop when the animal animal's body language um, let's the trainer know that they might be done or they're just tolerating it. Um, the trainers that can do that, I think, based on what I see, probably have the better relationship than the trainers that are just always touching regardless of what the animal does. So that's a great example. Um, and the other thing that I think of is when I was working with dolphins, um, every time the dolphins would come back from a behavior to the trainer, the trainer would tap them under the chin. I think that's a very common thing with dolphins. And I was doing that. My mentor at the time was like, do they want you to do that? Or do you want to do that? And that was the first time I really thought about it. And she like, I think I just probably looked at her kind of like a deer in headlights. Cause I never thought about it. And she was, then she said, was it reinforcing to them? And that's when I really started kind of paying attention to that. But I think Shane, those are all uh, great examples and Kabisa definitely. Um, she's a good teacher. And learn so much from our animals and we're constantly learning from them just as they are uh, hopefully learning from us as well. And I think that's all of that really ties into how, you know, one of the themes that another one that I want to, you know, dive into with, you know, some amazing professionals and experts in the field of animal training and behavior is, you know, training is a dialogue. It's two-way communication. It's so important to remember that it's communication both with you and the animal also is communicating with you. And that's so important when we're looking at uh, positive reinforcement training. But I think another one of those, you know, key things that all of us as we are going around training, if you are newer to training and you're excited to dive in is like looking at what is quote unquote training when you're with your animals. I think you know, looking at the different aspects of a relationship when training, it's really easy to see that every single interaction we have with that animal is a form of training. It's a form of learning and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a session or have food with us. You know, we can be reinforcing behaviors in so many ways beyond just food, as you mentioned earlier. Or punishing. Or punishing, you're right. Which is a great way to build a poor relationship. Um, but I think that's important to keep in mind too, is that if you're going to grab the hose to clean 
an enclosure next to an animal and you're focused on cleaning, for example, and as you're rolling out the hose, it spooks the animal, maybe even just a little bit. Um, they weren't expecting it. And you did not pay attention to that at all. Um, those little things add up. It goes back to that trust account or bank account. Um, they do add up. You're always just like you're training an animal, whether you're in a training session or not, you're also affecting your relationship, whether you're in a training session or not. So that's, I think anybody coming into our field, always keep that in mind is that it's one big training session. And I think a really, you know, kind of easy example that I, I imagine a lot of us have had experiences with, or maybe haven't thought about is if, you know, you have something that your animals know signals, a training session signals, you have food, a bucket, a pouch, you know, et cetera. And maybe you went or you're on your way to do a training session with an animal that is, you know, a like a habitat over, but you're standing in front of a habitat with the animal in it. And, you know, sometimes you might see that animal thinking, you know, the communication is my trainers are standing in front of me. This is about to happen. And you stand there forever. You talk, you talk, you're talking about the next session, you know, what your favorite cereal is. I have no idea why that was the example that came to my head, but it was maybe Justin and I talked about cereal in our past, you know, you're uh, talking about those things and paying attention what is the communication you're giving to that other animal? And also what is the behavior that they're showing you? Like, it's very possible that that doesn't matter at all. The animal is not even paying attention to you, but I know that I've personally had and seen situations where that is not the case. And that animal you know, thinks you know, that you're about to go to them, do a training session, interact with them. And then you walk away. And I think that's one of those things where is that a huge chunk away from your bank account, your trust account, that animal? No, but is it something that maybe thinking about it next time you can avoid that withdrawal and give that animal better communication? All of the small things, whether they perceive it as positive or not, add up or take away. Um, so it doesn't always have to be a huge, super positive thing or a super scary thing that affects the relationship. Um, cause they're paying their animals. I think Shane, you would agree, right? Regardless of the animals that you, you work with, at least for me, um, they're very aware of their environment. That's they're designed to be right. That's how they survive. So, uh, we can kind of get one track minds, but they are aware they're living there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're very aware of everything. So we need to be at least try to be just as aware. By the way, I, as you were telling that story, I was thinking too, we talked earlier about um, relationships are a construct and hard to measure, yet they're still so important to everything that we do. Um, the other way outside of the bank account to, to kind of try to measure relationships is reinforcement history. So um, we hear that word a lot. If you're coming into the field, you'll probably start hearing that word a lot. Uh, reinforcement history, but um, we use it frequently, but we don't often, I feel like, stop and really think about what that actually means. And so it's not just about every time you reinforce the animal with food versus you didn't, or every time they succeeded with you versus they failed. It is about those things. 
but so much more. So reinforcement history, I think, is important to bring up along with that that bank account. Those are the two ideas I, or, or terms, for lack of a better word, that I feel like we talk about the most in the animal training field. Both very, you know, critical concepts to think about training. And I, one of the things that uh, we hope to accomplish with this podcast is to build on what we're starting here. So this is episode three. And as we go through, we're going to be starting with those terms of the science that is so just fundamental, critical for us moving forward. So stay tuned. We're going to get into reinforcement histories as this podcast grows and moves on. But I think that's a really great introduction. And as we go through these, uh, you know, first couple months of the podcast and we get into some of these topics, we're going to expand on them more. So keep your eyes open for that. And in the meantime, if you have any questions about that at all, feel free to reach out to us for more specific, immediate uh, responses to any of those things that we kind of maybe glance over and we'll come back to later. But to wrap up this conversation about relationships in training, I think ultimately when we think about providing animals in our care with a good relationship with all those aspects of their life, we really are able to empower them to participate in their own care and in their own life. And I, uh, another one of those sayings that I live by as a trainer is we want our animals working with us and not for us. And I think that every single day when we are uh, interacting and training the animals that uh, we care for. So I think um, whether you're new coming into the field or um, you're old, like Shane and I have <laughs> been doing it for a while. It's always good to take a minute and kind of go back to the basics and just really think about what is my relationship with the animal, that particular animal that you're working with without our emotions as part of it. I love that. A perfect way to tie a bow on this episode. And I will say, Justin, I was about to say something about like, hey, I'm not old. And meanwhile, as you said that in my head, I was like, man, the way I'm sitting, my back really hurts. So uh, I wasn't able to say that, but uh, I love that discussion. And um, since this is newer in the life of our podcast here, Animal Behavior Conversations, we're going to break down these topics I'll be talking with some amazing people from across the animal care field, a lot of different species, areas around the world as well. And at the end, uh, I, this is one of my favorite parts that I'm excited to hear about is what we're calling our training tales. So Justin, do you have a fun training story that we'd like to share with our listeners? It's hard to pick just one story because every animal that I've worked with has taught me so much and they're all fun in so many different ways, but based on this episode about relationships, uh, the one I think about the most is a male stellar sea lion that I worked with. He was still, uh, to this day, all these years later, uh, the most impressive animal for me that I've ever worked with. There was never a day that you weren't kind of in awe of Kodiak because he was just huge. He was all muscle. Uh, he was very, very intense, and he came with a lot of labels. So when I started working with him, um, he had so many labels as just an, a big, bad, aggressive animal, essentially. Um, and he was 
I'm not going to lie. He was intimidating, uh, especially with all the labels on top of his muscle and, and intensity. Um, but it was all about relationship. I don't know if I realized that in those words, then I was definitely much younger. Um, we're always learning, but I was, had a lot to learn left at that time. And, um, he was aggressive, but, uh, another trainer and myself, we started about the same time and we were like, we really want to work with Kodiak more. And so we would just start taking lunches, um, rather than going away for lunch. We would just have our lunch next to his pool. And, um, when we were training him, we tried to do what Shane and I were, were mentioning now about having that two-way communication and let him know that it was okay to make a mistake or it was okay to fail. Nothing bad was going to happen. So we would actually um, use the LRS, which I'm sure down the road will be a big, long podcast. Kodiak uh, was all about relationship and just taking that extra time with him, um, taking the extra um, observation of his body language, taking all of those small things, those sensitivities into account. Um, you could just see in pretty short order, his intensity lower and he was into training sessions. He was curious, um, super smart. He learned super quick, uh, super quick. Um, and I feel, I hope he felt the same way, but I feel like that was the, the one moment where I was really proud of um, turning a relationship that was maybe not so good uh, into a very positive relationship uh, with that animal. Still one of my favorite animals that I've ever worked with, for sure. And Justin didn't know this because he hasn't listened to it yet as we're recording this, but in the first episode when I was introducing myself and what this podcast was going to be, my training tale was how uh, we had a radiated tortoise that was not comfortable around people. So I ate lunch with him. So that's just uh, funny. Apparently our training tales involve uh, eating lunch with our animals. So uh, that was a nice little tie-in. And that also concludes today's episode, focusing on relationships in training. This of course just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing us at abc at theabma.org. We'd love to hear from you, and this podcast really is made for you. As we start out, please, if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, things that work well, things that you would like to see us do on the podcast, reach out to us once again at abc at theabma.org. Now, Justin, if anybody has any questions for you, if they want the question answered that I kind of cliffhangered of what your favorite cereal is, how can people uh, contact you? Sure. They can email me at directorjustin at theabma.org or justingarner80 at gmail.com. Well, a special thank you to Justin for joining us in today's episode, to James McAleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla, Ayla the Sea Lion, all of our ABMA members, and of course, to you for listening and joining in on the Behavior Conversation. If you aren't already a member, consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on and join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations as we talk about operant conditioning. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training.
also, Justin, what is your favorite cereal? I don't know. I don't eat cereal. <laughs> like I Fruit Loops. Actually, yeah, Fruit Loops. Because the toucan is nice. Yeah. 